Welcome to Exhibition and Xbox Podcast, episode number six, the post E3 2021 show. Just seven days ago, more six days at the time of this recording, we saw the Xbox and Bethesda Games Showcase. And then following that, throughout the entire week, we got plenty of in-depth developer deep dives. And on top of that, we also saw the Xbox Game Showcase Extended, hosted by Kinda Funny and Gamertag Radio's Paris Lilly. Fantastic shows all around, and we will get into those more in a moment with our special guest, Joey Ferris of Game Explain, and he will tell you more about himself in just a couple of moments. Now, before we dive into today's conversation with Joey, I do want to hit a couple of pieces of news that we did not touch on during the show. First and foremost, the Xbox Design Lab is back. This was unveiled as part of the Xbox Game Showcase Extended, hosted by Paris Lilly, who had a fantastic dig on Khalif Adams of Spawn on Me by stenciling Cock and Cook on the bottom of his controller. But all of your features are back for the Xbox Design Lab Round 2. You now have millions of color combinations, and you can stencil a custom message or your gamer tag on the bottom of that controller. Awesome stuff to see, so dive in and create your perfect controller. I also want to mention, if you want to see some of the games you'll be playing with this new custom controller you hypothetically buy, then you can check out the Summer Game Fest demo event, which is wrapping up on June 21st. That's right, you have about 24 hours left to dive in and see what some of these next big upcoming indies have to offer through a collaboration with ID at Xbox. Some of my favorite experiences were Tunic, the Zelda Fox style game. God Strike was phenomenal. The Rift Breaker, not really my cup of tea, but interesting to dive in and check out. Lawn Mowing Simulator, one that I think my dad will absolutely love. And of course, Gary Witta of the Kind of Funny X cast, probably going to be mixing some of that in with Power Washing Simulator on Twitch. And finally, one that I am so incredibly excited about. This was a sleeper uh, hit announcement for me of E3 2021. Splitgate is coming to consoles, not just Xbox, but also on the PlayStation side of things. Really glad to see this Portal Plus Halo mashup is finally moving away from PC exclusivity and coming to consoles. Dive in, check it out. Phenomenal time runs super well on the Xbox Series X and S. Finally, I do want to touch on one piece of news that I talked about earlier in the week on its own video, but next generation games are going to be playable on last generation hardware. That's pretty impressive, and it's all done through the power of cloud gaming. That's right, Xbox Ones will be able to run some next generation experiences. Two that have been mentioned so far are Microsoft Flight Simulator and Starfield. Now more could be coming. I would assume it's probably going to be the entire library of games that are playable through the Xbox Cloud Gaming experience, but no announcements have been made as of yet. Jeff Grubb did say, from what he is hearing, and this makes sense to me, that feature will come sometime after the tech is upgraded from Xbox One technology to Xbox Series X technology for that back end of Xbox Cloud Gaming, because right now, effectively, Cloud Gaming is only running Xbox One hardware. When you play anything on Cloud Gaming, it's just an Xbox One streamed directly to your device. So once that next generation experience comes, you will be hearing more about this Xbox One feature that could make a lot of last-gen players very, very excited. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our conversation with Game Explains' Joey Ferris. Well, this week we are joined by Joey Ferris. Joey, if you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you do online, the content you create, and just kind of give us the rundown. All right, I'll give you the rundown. Uh, so, hi, my name is Joey. I work for a YouTube channel called Game Explain, where we mostly talk about 
Nintendo and stuff. We do talk about Xbox a little bit here and there. We also did stream the Xbox E3 show, so that was fun. But normally I cover Nintendo, but I didn't really get to express my opinions like too much on the on the Xbox show at E3. So I'm really excited to talk about that here with you, buddy. Yeah, man, there's a ton to dive into, but um, we were talking before the show. I wanted to have you on because I see a lot of podcasts that are, you know, all in on what Xbox is doing, like myself. You know, I'm totally into what Microsoft is bringing to the table. Um, But then, you know, as we all do, as the show was continuing to, you know, go down, I started to check Twitter, see what everybody else was thinking, kind of gauge, you know, uh, check the pulse of the community. And you were more lukewarm than most. And I didn't know if you wanted to kind of go ahead and just dive into why you felt that way. Totally. Like, I have warmed up to the show a little bit since then, especially after watching, you know, Capcom and Square Enix's show. It's just like, wow, that made Xbox's show a heck of a lot better, didn't it? Um, but but I was, I was st- even though Xbox's show was good, and I would say it was the second best show at E3, I, I still came away from it wanting more. Like, I didn't feel like they really, for one, I really think they didn't give us enough Halo. Like, I I honestly am surprised that some Halo fans were satisfied with the amount of Halo that they showed off, because compared to last year, they had a whole, like, seven to eight minute demo of Halo Infinite right before they delayed it for a year, so I was expecting them to show, like, a similar thing. I was expecting them to do another run-through of the demo, or maybe a different, like, in a different part of the, the Halo ring, but... They didn't give me that, and they also didn't have a solid date for the game yet. It was still holiday 2021, which kind of concerned me a little bit. I was like, are they, do they still not know when this game is coming out? Like, that's, that's a little worrisome to me. And I know they did a whole deep dive on the multiplayer, which does look fantastic, and I can't wait to play it, especially since it's going to be free to play, even though I have Game Pass anyway, so I'm going to be getting Halo Infinite anyway. But, yeah, I didn't think they had... Uh, they didn't show enough Halo. They didn't have like really big bombshell announcements. Even though I feel like almost every game they showed off, I do want to play at some point. Especially since, hey, Game Pass. They showed a lot of Game Pass games, and yeah, I can say like they did for for what it's worth. They did show me games I want to play. Especially since I am a Game Pass subscriber, and they even they they make me want to play Forza Horizon. That like never happens. But but other than that, I didn't think like there was a huge. WTF bombshell sort of announcement there. What was the last? And it's like they had a one more thing, and you save that for those bombshell announcements. But they showed a CGI trailer for a new game. <laughs> like, if if you're gonna do a CGI trailer, do it for a franchise we know is already a thing, and do it for like something like you know, for lack of a better example, Outer Worlds, who who made a trailer that was CGI, but. They even joked about it. They were like, oh yeah, this game's done and we're close, but this is the Outer Worlds too. Stuff like that. Instead, it was for Redfall, and I mean, I'm down for anything Arcane Studios does, but it's still kind of just like, if it's a new IP, show the game. Don't show a CGI trailer. We don't have any clue what the game looks like. Yeah, no, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. I feel like Redfall is going to be a really cool experience and you know Pete Hines obviously probably biased when went on camera but he's super excited mm-hmm. about what they're bringing to the table and stuff like that for me the fact that the entire show was capped off with 
a, you know, an arcane studios game kind of shows you the focus that Microsoft is putting on that style of experience and what they're trying to leverage through these new acquisitions that they're starting to really uh, put into a full development and to really start to bring these Xbox exclusives to light. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, I also just remembered Deathloop was also revealed with a CGI trailer. But that trailer, I don't know if you remember that trailer. That was a dope trailer. <laughs> I am like, I am counting down the days until Deathloop stops being a PlayStation 5 exclusive. Like the game isn't even out yet on PlayStation 5 and I'm ready for it to break that and like come to other platforms. Exactly. Is it also coming to Xbox One? No, it's only PS5 no. and yeah, 4. Yeah, that's huh? a PS5 wow. exclusive. Uh, I know that it's a launch exclusive and I think there have been some leaked documents or maybe something that came up. You know, maybe during the uh, the Epic Games uh, lawsuit a couple of months back. But, you know, I think it's supposed to be, I want to say six months, but it could be a year. But as we've seen with stuff like Final Fantasy, that can be pushed out if enough money is kind of thrown around. Yeah, I have a feeling that'll be a six month thing. I don't think it's going to We're. I don't think Xbox fans are going to have to wait much longer. But yeah, it's interesting because now Bethesda is straight up owned by, by Microsoft and now all their games are only coming out on Xbox and PC. So what yeah, a we'll, we'll talk about that transition. more. We'll talk about that more in a moment just because there's so much yeah. to dive into there. To talk about Halo Infinite, though, to kind of go back to that, since that was the big, you know, um, first thing that you came out of the gate with. I agree with you that I was hoping to see more, but my excuse for Microsoft, if I'm making like an excuse, is, you know, we've got the entire summer game fest that we still have to go through. We have months of you know this this content that they've got to fill and i feel like a dedicated halo event that comes later in the summer could give us let's say it's something like nintendo did after their show where it is an extended look with a developer sitting down and walking you through you know five different matches in multiplayer of different game modes or you know the entire first level or the entire first mission within this open world on um you know the the new zeta halo i think is what it's called but I think that there's more to come in the summer and they didn't want to put everything out at E3. Um, and this year's show was weird just because you have this virtual approach for E3. But then you also have the Summer Game Fest kickoff that happened a couple of days prior. And then you also have all these other events coming throughout the entire summer with more to be announced, I'm sure. A PlayStation show is obviously on the way. Um, and it's just like, I'm not sure everybody knows where to place what they need to to get out there i think it's kind of a weird setup right now Mm -hmm. yeah and some people are like uh for just for just ease of use they're just counting summer game fest as like an e3 thing or an e3 as a summer game fest thing it's especially since they talk about elden ring being an e3 thing even though it technically wasn't but you know the summer game fest was like two days before e3 even begun so yeah, it's a weird hodgepodge of things. And I do hope we do get like an Xbox, inside Xbox sort of event where they do a deeper dive on Halo. Cause like, cause like when they show, I know Halo is a big deal for Xbox. Like that's, and that's, that's an understatement right there. That's like the thing for Xbox. And I didn't get that, I didn't get that vibe from them at E3 this year. Cause they sort of just, oh, here's Halo and it's gone. Next game. Yeah, it's a very significant game, especially considering how, you know, we're, we're coming up this year's the 20th anniversary of Xbox. Then you have the 20th anniversary of Halo alongside that. And since the very beginning, for better or for worse, Halo and Xbox are synonymous with each other. They're congealed mm-hmm. together. 
Um, and that's what you see with Halo Infinite, where they're going back to basics. You know, you see no more of Spartan Lock. You see no more of these extended uh, stories that are being told. It's just getting back to what we saw in the campaign trailer, where it's Master Chief and Cortana, and you have this giant adventure that's going to be had. And that's really what they're trying to focus on. And I definitely think they probably could have shown more. Um, as somebody who's super on board with Halo Infinite from the very beginning, um, I didn't mind what they showed. I was fine with how much they showed off with the idea and the hypothetical promise of more coming later in the summer. Um, but I definitely could have been more excited if there had been more. Mm-hmm. Totally. So when it comes to the rest of these big announcements from the show, what were some of the highlights for you? And if you want, I can kind of rattle off some that were for me, or you can just kind of take the reins and go for it. Well, you know, the the document you sent me, you you pretty much had, like, the things I was going to say, too, because this was just so cool, this. uh, I will say, so, so the things that really got me excited we're a stalker 2 heart of chernobyl like i have not played the first game at all and i'm so glad like they're since it's been so long since the first game they're kind of just saying hey you can play stalker 2 no problem without having to play stalker 1 so since i tried to play stalker 1 and that game is jank it is classic 2007 like this is not aged well sort of deal right there but stalker 2 looks incredible like i love I love the graphics. I love the atmosphere they're going for. Um, I love that it runs at 60 frames per second. I feel like every game running on a next-gen system should be running at 60 frames per second, even if it's an option. Yeah, definitely. Like, just, yeah, that's... Because, like, I I know a lot of people said that about last generation, but now it's like, okay, this is, like, dead on. Everything's got to run at 60. Now, um, uh, what else? Replaced... I don't know one person that didn't like replace. That was That's insane. It. Yes. Oh my goodness. Just like, of course, we're talking like that Blade Runner aesthetic, though. But also, it's a pixel art game, in, but also in 3D. That art style is just insane. And I know there's another game that looks like it, too. That's already out, so I gotta play that game. But yeah, replace which just looks... Mm. That first, whenever they the trailer started and... We see a lot of pixel art game the games these days. Like a lot of people have that '80s inspiration, and now that it's become more of a niche, people have started to really get into it. But as soon as I think it was whenever the character, the main character you play as, was running through the woods, and they rounded a corner, and then you first saw that because it, it's it's labeled as a 2.5 dimensional, but you see that first 3D element kind of come in where they take a corner, and I was like, holy shit. This is different. And then the lighting hits and you see the lighting and it's almost like I'm sure that it's not actually ray tracing, but it has that kind of style. That's when I realized it was almost like the first time that I saw Octopath Traveler where like Mm -hmm. it's the pixel art style that I'm familiar with. But there's another level of complexity here that makes it something unique. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, it gets it does have those Octopath Traveler sort of vibes going for it, of course. But it's doing something completely different with it. It's doing like a like a cyberpunk style of game and it just looks incredible and i haven't watched that trailer again since so i need to definitely do that but another trailer that really got my jellies in a twist because it looked so good was somerville which uh, which looks like a, which looks like a game that made from the developers of limbo and inside and it turns out like the studio who was making it was one of the co-founders of that studio so so it do- totally makes sense there. It looks 
it looks really cool because it's it's totally like an alien invasion apocalypse story but told from the perspective of a family just trying to survive it but it's not even just like aliens it's like it looks like there's literal superheroes like defending them like these super soldiers like they're running into it just looks so it looks it's very war of the worlds vibes but also but also with that sort of sci-fi um, superhero type element to it. There's a lot to this story I just want to know, and chances are if this game is what I think it is, there's going to be a lot they don't tell us about the story, which is fine. I just want to play through this through this journey that looks dark, that looks terrifying, but also super cool at the same time. Yeah, that game was one that caught my eye as well. And I like what you said about War of the Worlds. It really has that kind of not only feel for the story, but also, you know, like the whole family sitting on the couch watching TV. And then all of a sudden you see like a meteor behind them hit or whatever the devastation is like that kind of setup is what got me excited for that game. And I, I don't think we'll hear more about the story, but in the same way that I'm excited for that, I'm excited for something like 12 minutes with Willem Dafoe and that kind of yes. top down storytelling thing. I need more of that, and I'm already sold on it just based off of the little tidbits that they've told me. So both of those games are in that same kind of camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm pretty much done with what got me hyped, so let's go to you. Uh, for me, like you said, Stalker 2 is definitely one that caught my eye just because, and I know that the game is a 200 gigabyte install. Like what? That, came out, <laughs> that news came out earlier this week. Yeah, because I was sitting there looking at it. I was... um. I went to the mountains over last weekend, so I was watching E3 through a 1440p tablet, you know. And even on that, I was like, hey, these textures, they're looking good. You know, this game runs at 60 FPS. And then I realized why the textures look so good, because there are <laughs> 200 gigabytes of them. Um, but all of that install size, beside the fact, hopefully they can um, minimize that before release. It just looks gorgeous. Um, but one of the biggest announcements for me that really got me hyped was one that leaked ahead of it with Back for Blood being a part of Game Pass. That's major. Mm -hmm. That Be is major. Just because I regrettably, sorry, yeah, I regrettably didn't. I just sorry, I didn't. I regrettably didn't play a lot of Left 4 Dead in high school, so I need to make up for lost time here. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I played Left 4 Dead. It was kind of a um, you know whenever I first got into the Xbox 360, I transitioned from a PS3 to a 360. Because that's where all of my friends were playing. You, we all know the story of where you started on PS2. Most people went to Xbox 360. Then you got to PS4. That's kind of the the cadence that a lot of people took, at least in my school. Um, and so I didn't really get into Left 4 Dead until after it had kind of passed, which is why I'm huge into Battlefield 3 even now. We talked about it on Twitter a couple of weeks back. Um, mm -hmm. But with Back for Blood coming from Turtle Rock, I hope that it takes the lessons learned from Evolve and then it combines it with the good parts of what made Left 4 Dead 2 fantastic and with a huge audience on day one through Game Pass you don't have to worry about small matchmaking lobbies you don't have to worry about a minuscule community of a thousand people that dribbles off after launch like there will always be people ready to play and that's super powerful mm -hmm. yeah I'm excited now that it's coming to Game Pass definitely will give me a reason to get into that even if I play it for like two days i'll still get my money's worth because it's game pass and i love game Pass. <laughs> yeah game pass is just an insane value and like you said at the beginning so many of these games are on game pass 30 games were shown off at the show i want to say and 27 of them are on game pass you know yes like that is totally. just the fact that it's 15 bucks a month for ultimate and you can play on you know pc on mobile on xbox wherever you want to get into it 
it, I just I don't understand how it's even possible. Like I never thought something like that would happen. It's that Microsoft money. I think <laughs> that's is. exactly what it is. <laughs> it is that Microsoft money. But another one that I'm excited about, um, Forza Horizon Five, where you said that you know you're excited about playing it and you're not really even into that kind of thing. That's exactly mm-hmm. where I was with Forza Horizon Four last November, whenever the Xbox Series X came out. I mean, we know how these console launches went. There was really like there was more on PlayStation, but between both of them, there were fewer than five games that were really like stand out, you know, mm-hmm. need to play. And so with these last generation upgrades, I went back, started playing Forza Horizon 4. I probably put over the course of December and January 50 hours into it. And Impressive. it's just it's a game that just keeps providing value. And if you're into just these open world racers, it's just a very light touch it's not uh, overbearing. You know, it doesn't stay overstay its welcome. Um, so that's one that I'm definitely excited about. And then we talked about Replaced as well. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much my uh, my highlight list. And then, of course, we got to talk about Hades. Yes, we do. So yes, you're do. a Nintendo guy. Tell me about your experience, if you've had one, with Hades and it being a Nintendo exclusive or just in general. How do you feel about the game? You know, I didn't even know this wasn't on other consoles. Like, I swear, I thought it was on PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One, but I guess I was just PC and Switch. So yeah, I played. I got it on Switch after word of mouth, because everyone was just saying, this game is just buck wild, like, it's, it's insane, it's awesome. And I played it for probably, like, a week straight when it came out. I never beat it. Um, I stopped playing it because then I got hired at Game Explain, and then I had to work on stuff. Because it was like, it was right before, co- it was like I got hired during COVID. So like, I just had all this time to play games before then. So it was just me on my bed playing Hades, like in portable mode. And yeah, that game is worth the hype. I need to get back into playing it like soon because and the best part is since it's roguelike, like you start at the beginning anyway, it's not like I have to start a new save file to get the hang of things again because... The combat system in that game is just so fluid. It's one of the best combat systems I've ever seen in my life. And it's so addicting the way that that they design the combat and design the upgrade system. And, and even the story is tied to dying over and over again to the point where it's like, when you die, you're not upset. You're just like, okay, let's, let's do this again. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of why I'm excited about it. I don't own a Nintendo Switch, and I really, I used to play a lot of games on PC in college, but it's just not appealing to me. Like, I'd rather have the living room, you know, where I'm just hanging out on the couch kind of experience. Like, I really don't, like, I have a good PC. It's not like it has an RTX card or anything, but it's a really good PC. I still prefer playing games on consoles. Like, this is my workstation. I don't want to mix work and games, although I have been addicted to Power Wash Simulator. Don't ask me why. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I recorded the intro for this show beforehand, and I actually downloaded during the Summer Game Fest demo event that's going on right now on Xbox. I got Lawn Mowing Simulator. And Jesus. So, and so, you know, <laughs> I, I have the world's most powerful home console here, you know, that's capable of running games, 4K, 120 hertz, like incredible stuff, and I'm over here mowing a lawn. But um, yeah, I, I totally understand the draw of having a uh, a dad pastime game in your in your repertoire but yeah i just enjoy that um that couch based experience and that living room experience and so i've heard a lot of good things about hades my coworkers were telling me about it i've watched 
a lot of gameplay. But like you said, it's just endlessly replayable to the point that you don't really have to worry about not necessarily not worry about getting bored because everything gets old over time. But there's a lot of replay value there. I noticed you didn't mention a game that was on your list. Uh, Battlefield 2042, which I want to talk about to death. Definitely. Let's go ahead and just transition into that. Lay it out for me. Give me your thoughts. I am so mad. Like, I was excited for the reveal of this game. Like, I was revisiting other Battlefields 3, 4. I was even playing Battlefield 5. Like, that finally got me into Battlefield 5 because I was just like, okay, it's time to really know. Like, we're returning to modern combat. Uh, I'm excited. And then I hear there is no single player campaign. And that just that just instantly turned me off. I was like, nope, no way in hell am I buying this game unless it's on sale, unless it comes to Game Pass or EA Play, which is a, like that shows up on Game Pass Ultimate anyway. But but like I get that B- Battlefield is known for its multiplayer and multiplayer only, and I'm sure nobody was playing war stories except me, or and nobody was playing like the single player campaigns except for me. But that's just like. But especially during this day and age where we have games like Call of Duty Warzone, where we have games like Fortnite and stuff like that. Most, I think Warzone is, though, is like the biggest example of this because it's a free game and so many people are playing it. And and here's EA with a multiplayer-only game and they're going to charge $70 for it and there's no single-player campaign, which... I'm sure a lot of people weren't going to play anyway, but it's nice to know it's there and it's nice to know I paid for it. It's just like the last time I paid for a multiplayer only game was Black Ops 4, which was fun for a time. But ultimately, I was just like, I don't know if I would have spent money on that because <laughs> yeah. I want I like playing Call of Duty single player campaigns, even if they are mediocre. Same with the Battlefield campaigns, super mediocre, but I play them for the graphics to be honest, I play them for like, here's this epic set piece that's happening. Here's what next gen consoles can do. And even though Battlefield multiplayer has those epic set piece moments, like just the fact that they're online, though, it kind of diminishes some of that, some of that value. Like, and I know there's that trailer 2042 where it's all multiplayer action. No game is ever going to play that good. Like yeah. the multiplayer trailers are always so exaggerated. Like. The, the whoever's playing the game is just way too good at it and everyone else sucks so it's kind of just like i want to play battlefield 2042 i don't want to spend 70 dollars on it that's the way i see it yeah at this point i think it's just a matter of time before it comes to game pass just like Same. just like what happened with with battlefield um you know three bad company bad company two they're all through ea play on game pass Um, But I do think that it was a huge missed opportunity because what you said about Call of Duty Warzone is absolutely true, where you have Warzone and then this holiday, assuming the date sticks, you'll also have Halo Infinite. So you have two very, you know, Goliaths. They're, They're really just major factors in FPSs. And then you have Battlefield. Two of these at least have a component. Like, obviously, this year's Call of Duty will be paid if you want to get the, assuming it has a campaign um, and base multiplayer experience. If it is the same setup as it is traditionally, you'll still pay for that Call of Duty. But Warzone is really the focus. So if you've got that free and then you've got Halo Infinite having free multiplayer and whatever updates come with that, Battlefield being $70 just doesn't make sense for the player. 
I think that right now, Electronic Arts is kind of in this weird in-between because you see them experimenting with games like Rocket Arena, and you see them experimenting with games like Knockout City, where those are put on Game Pass. Now, admittedly, through EA Play, but those are put on Game Pass. I think that the success they start seeing with these smaller games will eventually transition, but they're just nervous about throwing all of those, you know, pushing all their chips to one side of the table. Because a Battlefield is an investment, you know. That's a big game. Like, that's one of their big ones. Um, But I think the gamble would absolutely pay off because if it is multiplayer only, like we said earlier, you want to have the biggest audience possible. Like what happened with Back for Blood. And I'm on the other side where, like, unfortunately, I'm going to buy Battlefield either way. Like, 70 bucks, sure, because I'm spending you know, well over 100 hours in that multiplayer. If it's anything like what happened with Battlefield 3 and Battlefield 4, that's going to be, you know, something that I spend a significant amount of time on. But it doesn't feel as good as it would if it was free. And then on top of that, as you see that I put in the notes, there's no cross-play functionality announced right now. So mm-hmm. between, strange. Yeah, it's weird. So if you have, like, people on last gen, because we still have console shortages through the end of 2021... If my friends pick it up on Xbox One even, I can't play on the next generation. Or, I mean, we live in 2021. Let me play with people on PlayStation. Let me play because primarily my friends play on PC. So, like, just open those floodgates and expand the pool that you're pulling from for multiplayer. Because otherwise, if you have a multiplayer game and I can't even connect with my friends and it's 70 bucks why wouldn't I just go play Warzone? Or why wouldn't I just go play Halo Infinite? Like, that makes more sense for me. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that's the dilemma they're going to... EA is going to have to face when releasing this game. It's also... It's coming out in October, too, right? Yeah, that's I think it was al- October 12th, I want to say. That's already going to be a packed month, too. Like, there's going to be Far Cry 6 that month. There's going to be... Um, I figured there's other games coming out in October, too, but... I, I'm already thinking of, like, you know, Benchroid Dreads coming out that month, too, but that's not competition for Battlefield at all. But but it's it's not even the October games Battlefield has to worry about. It's going to be it's gonna be Halo when they, if that is still coming out on holiday. It's going to be Warzone. It's going to be even Apex Legends, their own game. <laughs> yeah, all of these big... The games that have gotten next-generation upgrades are the games that Battlefield will be competing with. And... If this game wasn't modern, if this game was not 2042 and it was a World War II game, it would be in the back of my mind. Yes. If it was a $70 World War II battlefield again, I'd be out entirely, not even buying it. Isn't it so funny how, like, for years, everyone was getting tired of, like, modern and future wars, and then Call of Duty comes back with World War II, Battlefield comes back with World War One and Two, yeah. <laughs> and then now we're just sick of it again. Like, it did not take long at all for us to be like, nope, just give me modern stuff now. But we just uh, got so inundated with stuff. Like, you mentioned Black Ops 4 earlier, but that combat was so fast, and that all really started yes. with Advanced Warfare in 2015, I think? Yeah, 2014, um, I think. Yeah, it, it could have been. Yeah, but Ghost was the last Call of Duty that was really just boots on the ground gunplay, and then we started mm-hmm. seeing this this gradual progression of the games getting faster and the guns just getting more and more out there. 
to the point that it just became too overwhelming. So then we like we overcorrected. It's like whenever you start hydroplaning and you just whip the whip the steering wheel, like <laughs> like, like we just went we just went really hard left over into old gunplay, and, and, and then we just started rolling the car with all these like all of these battlefields that all feel the same. Um, exactly, and you know the next Call of Duty is probably going to be World War Two. So that's yeah, we talked about lost that. Me. We talked about that that's on all. last week's show because Call of Duty Vanguard is supposedly going to be, I think, World War Two. I don't want it, you know. Like, me either. I, I bought um I bought Black Ops uh, Cold War last year, and I think I probably put maybe twenty hours into it. Like I think it's just a transition in what I want as a player. Like I'm just getting older, and Call of Duty just doesn't do it for me anymore. Yeah, I bought Black Ops Cold War two just because I wanted something new to play with my PS five. Something like, ooh, here's how the game looks graphically. It looks so good, right? I come back to it every now and then just because I'm like, oh, I feel like playing Call of Duty, uh, even though like I could just play Black Ops 2 on my Xbox Series X because that's when Call of Duty peaked. <laughs> <laughs> that was a solid game, not going to lie. Yes. Yeah, but whenever I need a FPS scratch, it's different, but I normally just play a couple of rounds of Halo or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Or we were talking about Battlefield 4. I started up Battlefield 4 again, and I've been getting back into that multiplayer ahead of, um, ahead of 2042. Hear- yeah, did you hear about Battlefield 4 today? Yeah, where they, yeah, they had to extend the servers because so many people were uh, were logging back in. Yeah, it was like it was a com- it's a combination of 2042 and also like they gave the game away for free on was it on Amazon Prime Gaming, right? So yeah, yeah naturally that was going to happen. I might have to jump back into that too. Like the Battlefield games for me, um, I think I played a lot of four when I don't know how much I played of three. I played a lot of online shooters like in high school, but now that's all a blur to me, so I don't really know how often I played them. But four was I played that for I don't know how many hours I played it for on PS4, but I had a good time with that. And now I have it on PC. I'm pretty sure I got it for free on PC. I'm not sure, but but now it's just like, oh I have all these games. Did I get them for free or did I not? I don't know. But yeah, so I definitely gotta Maybe jump back into four, but I'm not. I'm not buying 2042, so it's kind of just feels like, what am I preparing for? <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, prob- even, even if you don't get into Battlefield 2042 and you just want to play Battlefield 4, it's still a great game, you know. Oh yeah. Like even if you just want to scratch that shooter itch and you don't want to play um, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 on Xbox 360, <laughs> then by all means, you know, you can you can check out Battlefield 4. But um, yeah, it's just one of those games where I put that was a summer game for me. It was Battlefield three where I would sit down as soon as my parents left for work when I was home alone during the summer before I got a job and I would play from just 9 a.m. all the way until like six. Like there were no breaks. It was just pizza rolls and Mountain Dew. We were just going in. It was just unprecedented. Fantastic time. And it really makes me uh, regret becoming an adult so quickly and growing up and having an apartment. But uh, <laughs> that's all that's all beside the point. But yeah, um, definitely looking forward to Battlefield 2042 for me. But I definitely understand where you're coming from with the uh, mm-hmm. with the regret of having a $70 price tag and no campaign. I am interested to see how well this game does with that $70 price tag. But it wouldn't surprise me if like, a month or two before the game's launch, they announce, hey, it's coming to Game Pass, or it's coming to EA Play, part of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. So I, I see that occurring, or I see it uh, happening like shortly after the game comes out. Either way, like I I sort of predict it'll be like when Battlefront 2 and um, Battlefield 5 came out, where they just they just put that thing on sale like a week or two after it releases. Like 
I really don't see people buy paying seventy dollars for a multiplayer only game. But I could be wrong. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that you're probably spot on with that with the sale tactic because that is something that happens every single time. Is just mm-hmm. it launches for seventy bucks. Let's say, well, normally it launches for sixty bucks, but within the next two weeks, it's. I'm not sure if it's just a coincidence through Black Friday sales or holiday sales, but it's generally forty bucks. And mm-hmm. so I would be much more willing to go in on 2042 if it was 50. Um, and so with EA Play, you do get the 10-hour trial. So you can okay. you can download and play for 10 hours. And so what my strategy might be, just because like I'm not rolling in cash over here, you know, like I might download it and play for 10 hours just through the trial, then give it a couple weeks, see if it drops in price. Because the same thing happens with Call of Duty, where it drops down in a couple of weeks after launch as well. So that's a really good point. That's a bold strategy. I might have to do the same thing. Who knows? Maybe I'll love 10 hours of it and be like, you know what? Maybe they do deserve my $70 and I will buy it because job well done. Because the one thing Battlefield 2042 has going for it is that people aren't already super lukewarm on it. People are super hyped for 2042. Whereas like the games I was mentioning earlier, Battlefront 2 and Battlefield 5, people were just like, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. Before that game even came out, people already hated Five, like when it was announced for whatever reason. But same with Battlefront Two is just like, what are these? What's this loot box crap that you're pulling with me, EA? Like, yeah, what's going on? I think the most important thing for me is that they take the effort that was going to be put into a potential campaign and they reallocate that and distribute it evenly throughout the life of Battlefield 2042. Because if it's a multiplayer game. You've got to be very diligent with weapon balance. You've got to be very active in the community when it comes to free updates. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of battle pass system, but as with Battlefield 5, I believe all of the new maps are being given away for free, like they're getting away from the pack system. Um, So it's just those continual updates and those continual reasons for me to come back to the game, because otherwise... If everybody just moves on and starts playing the next Call of Duty or just goes back to Warzone, then this game is going to be floundering two months after launch. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm excited to see. Yeah, we will see. But going back to the single player stuff, I figured we would go ahead and transition into our talk on Bethesda games um, mm. because we've got a couple of things to talk about. We touched on Redfall earlier. We haven't talked much about Starfield. What do you think about the in-engine cinematic, the kickoff to the entire Xbox and Bethesda game showcase? Give me your thoughts. Uh, it looked good, but it was still just like no gameplay. Um, but when they said Creation Engine 2, I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Are you finally doing it, Bethesda? <laughs> Are yeah. you finally putting this game on a new engine? Like, finally? <laughs> Yeah, I hope after Fallout seventy six, you 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 would say, "Hey, we need to not do this. <laughs> we yeah. can't do this again." Not even Fallout seventy six, but Fallout four is one that was just yeah. you know, even a few years before the end of the console life cycle of the PlayStation four, you boot that thing up, and it's just it feels archaic, like it feels like an Xbox three sixty game. And so they've, yeah. they've been talking about the new engine for a while. I think that's something that was unveiled during last year's Xbox showcase during their July, um, you know, sit down. But again, how much different will it be? Because Creation Engine 2, like, I know that these are these are nomenclatures and that these are just naming strategies. But, like, is it definitively different? And how different is it from the foundation that it's built on? You know, how much better does that engine actually make things run how much does it actually improve the gameplay 
And we mm-hmm. won't really know, not only until we get actual gameplay footage, but until we are able to get hands-on with a demo or something um, to you know prove the the value that Starfield is bringing. It's the first new Bethesda game in 25 years, or I should say, new Bethesda IP in 25 years, and like that's a lot to live up to. You know, that's a it major is. order. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like I have, I have hope. I have, I wouldn't say high hopes for Starfield. I'm cautiously optimistic. I need to see gameplay first, and like even despite its jank, I still enjoy Fallout games. I've never. The only Bethesda game I've beaten, though, is, like, Skyrim, and I only beat it because it was on the Switch, which I could play all the time, anywhere, all the time. And I'm talking, like, main campaign-wise. I've never 100%ed a Bethesda game, but... But, yeah. Uh, Starfield, I still don't know how to feel about it. Uh, it looks visually good, but it still looks like it has that sort of look Bethesda games have, where it's not exactly um polished like super polished and even though it's an in-engine trailer they still do things to make it look prettier like let's be real yeah i think that's one concern that i have as well is because especially on those tight shots on the main character's face i'm not sure if they've unveiled her name yet um but whenever you get those tight shots i understand that it's very early in development i know that it's just an e3 trailer but the textures look a little bit off. There's this kind of like, you know, that we've got the dead eyes where it's just this doesn't look like when I see gameplay of The Last of Us or actually The Last of Us 2 to be more recent with it. I see that and it looks that's one of the most realistic facial animation systems that I've ever seen. Like when I see The Last of Us 2 running, it looks like something that is on a completely different level. I wasn't getting that from the character model in Starfield. Now, of course, COVID and character model capturing, that was a whole issue in and of itself, so that could change later on. I loved the set pieces, like we all talked about the sandwich a bit, you know, that was sitting on the counter and the intricacies of the console that they were sitting on in the cockpit. Um, But that kind of stuff looks good. It's just the character that I'm kind of concerned about, which then, you know, brings up these PTSD memories of Fallout 4, where it was just, you know really janky like in that (laughs) in that kind-hearted warm-hearted bethesda jank kind of way but it was still janky so yeah i don't think we're ever gonna see jank go away in bethesda games maybe starfield can prove me wrong on that but i highly doubt that doubt that it will um but yeah i don't have many more thoughts about starfield it is kind of just like i'll wait and see We'll, we'll probably get a deep dive at next year's e3 uh with the gameplay like they usually like to do with these kind of games so Maybe we'll see then. I'm getting already like No Man's Sky sort of vibes from it, but it's not. I know it's not going to be like a procedurally generated sort of game or anything. Is No Man's Sky still procedurally generated? I haven't played it since 2016, so yeah, I don't even they've know improved it. that <laughs> game a lot. Like it's, uh, yeah, it, it is significantly better than it was. I'm still not every every now and then I start diving back in and getting into it, and then I realize the investment that it takes to really get into it, and I mm-hmm. I, I put it on pause and then I uninstall it. Um, But, yeah, I'm not sure what kind of game it's going to be, and that's really the conversation that's being had. I feel, it sounds bad, but I think it's going to get, not overshadowed, but it's going to be pulling that Titanfall 2 situation where Starfield and the Outer Worlds 2 will unintentionally compete with themselves. Where you have something that's fun and lighthearted, and it is just you exploring the galaxy in a in a very um you know it's almost like a guardians of the galaxy style romp where it's just you're going on an adventure 
versus Starfield that feels like something where it is like Skyrim, where you are exploring these new species and you're meeting these new characters, and it's going to be much more serious. So, like, in my taste... I'm going towards the Outer Worlds, too, just because I don't like the serious kind of nature. I'd much rather have this comic book style adventure, whereas somebody who likes more of the uh, realism might go more for Starfield. But I think they're probably going to be a little bit closer in style than a lot of people would want them to be, I think. I don't. You see, I'm of a different mind with the Outer Worlds because I really did not like the Outer Worlds. I must have played like five six seven hours of it i don't quite remember but i just had no desire to go back to it when i was done with those initial hours i was just like this this is kind of a shallow experience and it's it doesn't feel as refined the worlds are small it is of course maybe should have set expectations properly it's a mid-budget game it's not like a huge quadruple a sort of experience but at the same time it was just kind of like all I'm doing is talking, really. And I yeah. know it's an RPG, but it was just a lot of chat, 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 chat. And I'm, I feel like it didn't take much to convince characters to like be on a certain side or anything. And yeah, it, it wasn't a game that... And when they announced the Outer Worlds 2, I was kind of just like, oh, okay. I'm yeah. not excited for this. And I really don't think it's going to be competing with Starfield. I think the Outer Worlds 2 is going to come out way after Starfield. Oh, you think like, so? Yeah, because th- with that trailer, like they even joked about like how much not done they are with this game. Yeah, so it's, I it take was so their hard for me. It. To, like I, I didn't know how to read it. Like I wasn't sure if they were just being like you know tongue in cheek about it, where they're like we haven't done anything, and then it launches. It's not going to launch alongside Starfield next year, and it's not launching this year. I would say twenty twenty three question mark maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that now that you've brought up the timeline, I definitely think that you have a good point there, where it's not going to be competing with that uh, in terms of time. Um, but man, that trailer was great though. Like gameplay gameplay aside, topic aside, anything aside, that was a very good trailer. Yeah, it was um, absolutely and. I don't know, Obsidian also is pretty busy too. They're working on a bunch of different games. Like they're still working on Grounded. Like that's an early access right now. Um, they're working on that other game that I forget the name of. It's set in like Avowed. Of, yeah, that's like set in the Pillars of Eternity universe, I think too. Um, are they working on Fable or is that someone else? That is Playground Games. That's Playground Games working on yeah. Fable. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah Which, so that I don't think that's coming out. I mean, with Forza Horizon Five launching this year, after that launches, I think they'll be like, I don't know, because I don't have any kind of insider information or anything. But it would make sense for me to, you know, shift a lot of their um, internal power towards the development of Fable, and then have a support team for Forza Horizon Five. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's that's what the situation is right now. Yeah, but I I do think we'll see Outer Worlds 2 before Elder Scrolls 6. <laughs> so when do you think we'll actually see Elder Scrolls 6? What's your what's your beat on that? We'll see we'll see it released in 2026. Hmm. Honestly. Like maybe not, what year is it now? I don't know, but it's maybe a little soon. Yes, 21, I think. I'm not sure anymore. But we're not going to see this game for a long freaking time. Like the only reason Todd Howard announced it at E3 2018 was to get people to breathe. Like, just because they announced Starfield in, like, the most anticlimactic way possible. So they said, oh, hey, we're also working on a game after that. And and then it was an even more anticlimactic way to announce Elder Scrolls Six, And it's just kind of like, 
they're doing this just they did that just to cover their asses like it's i don't even know they're probably working on both games at the same time i think but but yeah i don't see elder school 6 happening for a long time at least until the middle of this console generation like it's i'm setting my expectations on when the game's coming out just the lowest they could possibly be yeah i think that uh, let's go ahead and, and talk about the elephant in the room that was basically addressed by the situation with Starfield. Do you think Elder Scrolls 6 will be an Xbox exclusive? Because we've heard that it's handled on a case-by-case basis before. What's your take on that? Mm-hmm. Well, when you mention a case-by-case basis, maybe that'll change some things. But in my opinion, it's still going to be 100,000%. Microsoft is not going to let that thing like go on other platforms. Like It's a huge deal. And if that makes people angry, let them be angry, because now we have Elder Scrolls 6 on our system, and that's going to get people to buy an Xbox Series X or Xbox Series X Pro, which I hope they don't do mid-console generation upgrades again, please, for the love of God. But yeah, that's the way I see it. With it being an Xbox exclusive, hypothetically, like an hour take, because that's my belief too, do you think... Well, let me say this. I think that that changes the release of it because instead of fitting it into Bethesda's pipeline, you've got to figure out how that congeals with the rest of Xbox's planned releases. Like, you don't really want to release Fable and Elder Scrolls VI within two months of each other because the overlap in player base, especially as Game Pass continues to be a big part of their strategy, will be a pretty big overlap. Mm-hmm, totally. That's a good point. Um, and as for Fable, I don't even know when that game's coming out either. Like, they announced it with a CGI trailer, so that game could be, like, decades off. Not literally, of course, but... But, yeah, there's also Avowed, which looks like it's gonna be a very similar game to, to Elder Scrolls and Fable, so... It's all up in the air at this point. Like, this Bethesda acquisition's still very new. They're still figuring out a lot of different things. Like, it, a lot of Xbox's studio acquisitions in general are still fairly new. We don't know, like... The results then we don't even know when hellblade 2 is coming out still so yeah. it's yeah. still a lot that's up in the air that's one that i was shot i mean i know that there was a developer um update that was released last week but for hellblade 2 to not be included in the show was either just a strategic people know this game is coming to xbox we don't really need to highlight that or it's a sign that that game is like being pushed out a little bit mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure yeah i'm excited to learn more about that one as well But with all of the discussions we've had today and the talk about the Bethesda and Xbox showcase with the Xbox company and the Xbox brand in 2021, how do you think that they've done over the past few years seeing the redemption arc in a way of Xbox? And where do you think that it's going in not only the next one to two years, but in the years ahead? I'm pretty excited, I will say. Like, um... I think even if I didn't have an Xbox Series X, I would still be excited for this acquisition because I'd be like, oh, something to get excited for when I do finally buy a Series X. Like, it's stuff like this that makes the console and the gaming industry exciting is the competition because you got people who are fighting for the spotlight and they'll do it in ways that get us excited. Like, like, what if Sony retaliates by, like, saying, hey, we're collaborating with Valve for Half-Life 3 or something like that? That's just, like, a big out there. It's never going to happen. But but that's kind of, like, the competition that we're talking about. So, so yeah, this... Uh, I think Xbox is at that point where they're no longer the butt of the joke anymore. Like, I feel like all of last generation, even when 
Xbox was starting to make these changes, these positive changes, they were still like the butt of the joke by saying by with people saying things like, Why are I'm not excited for your exclusives, Xbox? Like they're not enticing to me. And even when they had a really good exclusives, uh Gears 5, people were like, I don't care. So so now Xbox is kind of just like in attack mode now, like Hey, you know that game series you love so much, The Elder Scrolls? Yeah, that's ours now, honey. <laughs> so, so, so if people are getting mad, like especially PlayStation fans, like getting mad at Xbox, like why are you taking away these? Why are you making your games exclusive? It's just like, hey, we just listened to you, fam. Like you said, we weren't stepping our game up. This is what we're doing. We're coming in for the attack. Yeah, that, I mean that's a major point, and. I understand the the anger that a lot of people in the PlayStation community are experiencing because, like, I grew up as a PlayStation guy. I still love the PlayStation brand, and I I don't feel the need to buy a PS5 right now just because it, the exclusives that have been released and that are announced don't really appeal that much to me. I'm looking forward to God of War. Um, but I would be upset, you know, if it was me in this flip position. But at the same time... While we like to think these gaming companies are, you know, friendly and that they are just trying like, you know, it's all about the player. It's all about bringing the best experience. They're still trying to make money. Like the entire industry is founded on the idea of selling a product in return, receiving cash for said product. And they have to compete because Sony is continuing today financially and fiscally to dom. They're, they're just dominating. And so if they don't invest heavily in bringing games that people want to play and in improving their hardware and in nailing their marketing, I mean, the fact that they're making the Xbox mini fridge after listening to the fact that the Series X looks like a fridge, that is marketing yes. at its finest, you know. And so all of these elements are all coming together to really prove to me that, uh, like you said, Microsoft is coming up to bat they are here to if they're not going to win they're here to play and playstation finally has competition and whenever these two start butting heads that's when the players are the ones that start to see the benefits just like with mlb the show 21 coming to xbox that wouldn't have happened if microsoft hadn't splashed the cash and so now sony's looking at that and they're probably thinking that was the best selling game on xbox in april i think that's a true fact i would have to double check that but it's <laughs> one of the best selling games on xbox in april how do we counter that what can we take from them to bring to the playstation community that makes them more excited or what can we make organically uh, that makes them more excited. But it's that kind of stuff that just makes me so pumped about this generation. It's the best time ever to be playing games. It really is. Like, I'm, I'm very excited to see what the future of Xbox looks like. I really hope I don't have to wait much longer because I still feel like we're waiting, you know, at the same time. It's kind of just like, okay, uh, Redfall is a thing. That's, I don't know what to think of it because it's a CGI trailer, but thanks. Yeah, and they have the the timeline of the next six months where that was Phil Spencer's big thing. I think they had a branded hashtag on Twitter, uh, but it was six months, six games. But it's stuff like, not that this is small, but like Psychonauts 2, where mm -hmm. that's cool. I'll play it. I'm not counting down the days, you know, yeah. like it like it's neat. And I think it's smaller stuff like that. But I think your game start... was announced in 2015. Was it really? Yes, they announced it at the Game Awards 2015, and I did not think it would take them six years to make that game. Wow. 
It's, I think that what it was, I was listening to, I believe I was listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass, um, which is another really good podcast for listeners that want to check out more Xbox stuff. Um, but I think, and you might know this too, it was originally funded via Kickstarter. And so then it got kickstarted. Yeah. yeah okay. So, and then it got picked up by Xbox and they were like, we've got so much money. So I think the scope of the project probably changed over time. It, yeah, it wasn't exactly Kickstarter. It was some other weird crowdfunding website that is probably defunct now because I have never heard of it since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But either way, I'm excited for teams like that to be able to bring that kind of stuff in. And in the same way, uh, like I'm sure whenever Grounded comes out of early access, that'll be a big, you know, big marketing push from the Xbox team. But it's just not something I need, you know, like I, I cool, neat, sure. But like, I don't really need it. So I think when you start seeing Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite drop, that's when the cadence really starts to pick up. After that, that's whenever I'm up in the air, because then you have this giant swath of time until Starfield. So what comes out spring and summer of next year? That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, classic, we'll just have to wait and see. But all eyes are on Halo for Xbox right now. That's the way I see it. Definitely, for sure. And that's a big uh, thing to have eyes on as well. So with all of this being said, E3 2021 Virtual Edition, give me your final thoughts on not only the Xbox show, but just in general. How do you think the conference went? What was your favorite uh, presentation, favorite game? Just give me the big takeaways from E3 as we round out today's show. Yeah, Xbox's show, I'll start with that. It was good. It wasn't their best show by a long shot, but given the fact that this year's E3 has just been kind of a snooze fest, um, it definitely got better as other companies did their shows, like after Square Enix and after Capcom. It was just kind of like, oh, thank you, Xbox, for just going back to back to back with games. And especially since Xbox did go back to back to back with games, like between trailers, they had almost nothing between trailers like occasionally they did but but it was in stark contrast to ubisoft who talked about like four games two of like most of which were already out and they just spent they wasted so much time with like developer deep dives and like they showed a cgi trailer for rainbow six extraction then they showed developer commentary then they showed a gameplay trailer and it's just uh, and it was just like guys one or pick one or the other <laughs> like just because you can have an e3 show doesn't mean you you should and but you know who needed to have an e3 show was nintendo who won e3 in my eyes but i'm a little biased because i'm a metroid fan who hasn't had any positive metroid news for the better half of three years and here they are saying like we're working on metroid prime 4 still by the way while you wait Here's Metroid 5, which is like, if you don't understand the Metroid lore, no, Prime Prime 5 is not coming out before 4. That's not what's happening. Metroid Prime and Metroid are separate entities with their own self-contained stories. But we have been waiting for Metroid 5 since 2002. That is a very long time, in case you didn't know. So now it's like we're getting, we're finally getting that story continued. And on top of that, we got this cool-looking WarioWare game. We got, we got, uh, we got Advance Wars coming back. We got a new Super Monkey Ball. We're we're getting we're getting Zelda next year, which was a bummer because a lot of people were hoping this year. But yeah, I think in my eyes, and I'm a little biased, of course, is that Nintendo won because they gave me what I wanted. This e this entire E3 was a new Metroid game. 
Yeah, and I think that that last point that you made is that Nintendo won in your eyes because they gave you what you wanted. And like as a Nintendo fan, I'm sure that you were like super pumped about everything they brought to the table. Nearly everything. Obviously, there are always hits and misses with every conference. Um, but that's where Xbox and Nintendo come together because as somebody who watched the Xbox show, kind of like you said, there wasn't a single game on there that I wouldn't at least be willing to try. Yes. And I checked out what Nintendo brought as well. And just like what you said about Xbox, where they're bringing so much to the table, I've never, uh, well, I owned a Switch at launch and I played Breath of the Wild. And I think I played um, the Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Uh, then I sold it. I want to go back at the end of this generation because there are going to be so many great Switch games. Like, this is just a golden age for Nintendo in a way that we haven't seen since the NES. You know, yeah. like before I was born, this is like the switch is just <laughs> killing it in so many ways. And like I said, even as somebody who doesn't own one, I can't help but respect what they're doing because it's just insane. Um, the quality fan service they're really bringing. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They're just listening to the fans and bringing what they want. Exactly. Like, they're listening to Metroid fans, which never happens. <laughs> <laughs> they're listening to Metroid fans. They're listening to just not the not the Metroid Prime fans right now, but they will in a couple of months. <laughs> Honestly, if you're not a if you're a Metroid Prime fan and you're not a Metroid fan, there's something wrong with you. Like, Ooh, play true. the 2D. Play the 2D Metroids, guys. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said on Twitter, I'm thinking about buying a, a 2DS just to play Samus Returns, even though I know that Metal Jesus Rocks is a YouTuber that I watch, and he was kind of complaining about the control schemes. Um, within uh, Samus Returns, but I know that the developers are changing that for Dread. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully that'll be all remedied. But I definitely have that itch to buy a Nintendo product and get in on older Metroid games and Metroid Dread. And like you just kind of become more invested in the ecosystem like I used to be back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was playing Samus Returns last night, and the controls are actually like are, are better than I remember. And I totally get what Metal Jesus Rocks was saying, though, because like. Yeah, like after playing on a Switch for so long, it, it feels weird to go back to a 3DS, even a 3DS XL. Like it still feels weird. Yeah, it's like playing on a, I don't play off, often on it, but I read a lot on my tablet and then I'll pick up my phone to check Twitter and I'm like, what is this little, what is this little baby <laughs> device that I have, you know? Exactly. Yeah, but um, I'm looking forward to it. All in all, the future is incredibly bright for gaming right now, whether you're on Nintendo, Xbox or PlayStation. It's just a great time to be playing stuff. Oh, yes. So is there anything else you want to throw into the end of the show and uh, and wrap up with? Uh, not really. Just uh, buy Metroid Dread. <laughs> That's buy all Metroid. Say. All of you Xbox fans out there, buy Metroid buy Dread. Buy Metroid Dread. Um, but uh, hey, if you want to play a good Metroid video on Xbox, uh, play the Ori games. There you go. Oh, true. Definitely big fan of the Ori games. But before we go, let everybody know where we can find you online, where we can read your stuff, where we can see your face. Just give us the rundown one more time. Well, you can find me on Twitter at FerrisWillPro, and you can also find me on YouTube.com slash GameExplain, where I'm going to make a lot more Metroid content for these next few months. Very nice. I'll be tuning in, and I hope that you guys do as well. But thanks for joining me, Joey, on this episode of Exhibition and Xbox Podcast, and hopefully we'll get you back on in a couple of months when these discussions we've had start to finally come to light. All right. I'm looking forward to it. 